Welcome, folks. This is Mark Steiner. We're about to have a conversation with Lily Eskelson Garcia, who is president of the National Educators Association. Uh, and Lily, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. It's just a pleasure to be here. So let's go backwards for a minute. You've had quite a varied career. So what I've read, you have been a starving folk singer. You have been... You know, you're starving if you're not very good. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So starving, it sounds so much more romantic than it is. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, she's not going to make it. (laughs) It was a a total keep your day job, sweetie. So, yeah. And on top of that, you worked worked in a school cafeteria, and then you became a school teacher, became president of the association in Utah, before that becoming the Teacher of the Year in Utah, and you ran for Congress. I did. You know, it was a slow day, and it just (laughs) seemed like a good idea at the time. And, you know, in in Utah, we've got like 17 Democrats. It was my turn. So, yes, I ran for Congress. It's your turn. Well, I mean, and you were the first Latina uh, to run in the history of Utah. Yes, it's lovely to that. <laughs> so, just a little bit, get that out there. So, so let's let's talk a bit about some of the issues that are really are are really at the, at the frontier for the National Education Association and all of its affiliates. So, we have Betsy DeVos as our new Secretary of Education. Yes, I took a moment to sigh. I heard that. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. I heard that. Um, oh. So this, the battle has been going on for a long time around the issues of what charter schools mean, what charter schools are, mm-hmm. vouchers, how to pay, for, you know, and 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 funding for public schools. And we here in Baltimore, where we're broadcasting from, are facing a huge crisis where the funding formula has destroyed the budget for the city schools here in Baltimore City, one hundred thirty million dollars short. Same thing is happening in Chicago. It's happening across the country, um, and it seems for them to fit very neatly into this notion of vouchers and charter schools and where the money should go. Mark, it is so complicated, and there's so much at stake. Our kids in the most vulnerable situations, our kids who face discrimination, who face poverty, whose parents are just trying to keep body and soul together, where mom's got two or three jobs, just, um, you know, where it's the end of the world if she has to stay home with a sick child because she might lose those jobs. Um, and what our families are facing is so serious that um, what's going on in a public school becomes even more important. It's always been important, but now it is. Um, it's going to be w- what kind of future these kids can even hope to have. And so there has been a raging debate um, for decades now, and I started teaching in the 80s when I was 12, and I just, <laughs> you, heard you, you were know, a child prodigy. I was a, well, I, I was around when, you know, when they, they had open schools and schools with no walls, and, and, you know, everybody was, like, trying something different. They wanted, you know, new math. They were trying all kinds of things, and a lot of those things just fell flat on their faces, and I still contend it's because they never asked a fourth grade teacher, how it would, you know, what would happen if you took out all the walls in a school? I remember that too. So they never actually were practical. Um, But I remember hearing about these things called charters. And in the day when they first were uh, proposed, they were 
they came from the teachers' ranks. They said, look, we've got these kinds of district policies. We've got uh, contracts that say you, you, know, you have to be at school by this time and you have to let teachers leave by that time. Um, you, you, had, you had all of these um, things in place. And there were teachers and, and support staff and even school principals going, we want to try something different. What if we were to, you know, like have a longer day or what if we were to come in on Saturday and have, you know, like sports day or art day, you know, we want to try something really different. And if it works, we could do it in the whole district. I loved that idea. I mean, there were, there were friends of mine that said, I want to start a charter school and, and, and my union uh, was very involved in helping uh, get these innovative hubs, the center of the district. And, it was just simply amazing. That has now been corrupted. And so when someone says, well, how do you feel about charter schools? What's the position of the NEA on charter schools? You almost have to go, let's point to the charter school you're talking about, because it could be very different. Let me tell you the cautionary tale of how to do it wrong is everything that's going on in Michigan. And that's why I side when you said Betsy DeVos, because Betsy DeVos, who before she was Secretary of Education, we had no evidence that she had ever walked into a public school. And and when people challenged her on that, she didn't disagree with them. Um, Public schools were not anything that she uh, was trying to help. But what she had an ideology. She has an ideology. And by the way, this has been bipartisan. So there are people in the Republican Party as well as the Democratic Party who are um, going to have uh, very similar ideas uh, about uh, what they will characterize as school choice. And But usually it comes down to vouchers for private schools. Let's take public school money and give it to private schools um, with this belief that, well, private schools are good and public schools aren't, ow, um, (laughs) without anything to back that up, without any research to back that up. And so um, what, uh, you know, what we have with um, charters is something that is even more bizarre, because it could be what I just described. Um, Some school teachers, some parents uh, getting together and saying, let's do something different. How about a school for the performing arts? Um, More in line with like a magnet program, science, or the way that we're going to have um, some more positive discipline and and school culture uh, models, something they're trying out that will help improve the whole district. What happened in Michigan? was for the last 30 years, Betsy DeVos has been the leader in this. She said it should be market-based, cutthroat, competitive competition will, uh, if you're afraid of losing customers in your public school, you'll just find ways to improve whatever it is that you're trying to do for these kids. But it's important that we have unlimited, un regulated, unaccountable charter schools, which really are private schools. 80% of them are for-profit 
businesses. We're not talking about a Catholic school or a Lutheran school or, you know, some elite private school. We're talking about people who got investors and started a business. And then, of course, they take the charter dollars that follow the child. They figure out what their profit is and what's left over then that becomes the program for the students. They spend a lot on very slick advertising, but not a lot on actual programs. It's a disaster in Michigan. Kids are being hurt. These are fly-by-night, for-profit ventures that go out of business in the middle of the year, sometimes months into the year. The kids are left with nothing. They're sent back to the public school. The funding's gone. There's no money that follows the kids back. Um, Betsy DeVos will still say this is the best way to um, uh, run a public school is treating them with unlimited, unaccountable, for-profit businesses promising parents things that they have no intention of delivering on. Fraud, mismanagement, that's what we have to show for it in Michigan. It is not a model for the nation. So I'm curious, <clears throat> given the present political climate, given the state of most public schools and when it, and kids coming out of many public schools, especially in the poorest communities, not doing well, that's always blamed on the teachers. But there is a crisis in public education, but I don't think it's the teachers. I right? appreciate that. And you know, I, I, and I don't think you're overstating it to say that there's a crisis. But let's go back. I've talked to an awful lot of people who, and, and by the way, depending on where you live, it's a crisis or it's just fine. It depends on where you live. You know, so if you're in Baltimore, you might be quite alarmed at what students are not getting. But if you are in some of the wealthier suburbs, you're doing just fine. And it's because of the way we fund our schools. What NEA wants to see and what um, the Maryland State Education Association is fighting for is that every public school should look like your best public schools. Why not? And this is our this is like this is how we know if someone's really serious about school improvement or whether they're just um you know, making stuff up. We said, here's what you should do. Walk into the best elementary, middle, and high school in your state. Walk into the very best public school um, that you can find. And I mean, I, I'm from Utah. You would go to Park City. You, know, you would go mm -hmm. at where there's a ski mountain um, under, you know, under <laughs> right. your school, uh, where there's lots and lots of, of money and, and a lot of people who are um, um, you know, willing to pay a lot of uh, dollars, and there's million million dollars second homes in these areas. And for some strange reason, when you walk into those schools, you see computer labs. You have fully stocked libraries and a full time librarian and a school nurse and counselors and books and technology and and AP French classes. Now, I want someone with a three dollar and fifty cent clipboard to walk into the best school in Maryland and just take an inventory. What you got? Let's just write it down. Oh, look at your counselor-to-student ratio. Look at that international baccalaureate program. Look at those kids that are earning college credit before they graduate from high school. That and nothing less than that should be the template, should be the standard for every school 
in the state of Maryland. And I will tell you a lot of reporters, when I tell them that, they roll their eyes and they kind of giggle and they go, well, that would be nice. But you know that we can't afford to do that. And I said, oh, contraire, you did afford it. I just walked through that school with the to die for library. You just decided to afford it for these children and not to afford it for every child. So when we are serious, when we say all kids not get the minimum, but all kids get what the most blessed children who have the hover parents, and Lord, we love them. It's like, no, 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 my kid does not get a B plus. It needs to be an A, uh, (laughs) where they make sure the kids do their homework, and they're going to make sure their kid gets into Princeton. They know that their kid needs all of those things. I wouldn't take one thing away from them. I'm simply saying that what the most um, uh, yeah, what the most involved parent knows their kid needs, they are correct. We want that for every child. And when someone says, well, you can't have it for every child, what we're going to do is we're going to go into, you know, inner city Baltimore and Chicago and Detroit, and instead of saying those kids' schools should look just like the schools in the most affluent areas, they say, no, 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 what we're going to do is on the cheap. What we're going to do is say, and here's the voucher. Here's a couple thousand dollars. Good luck. Good luck finding a school that looks like the best school in our state that will take your child, that wants your child. And that's how we know that they're really just kidding. They're not serious because they have no intention of really investing in what those children need in their public schools. And by the way, 80% of the most affluent parents in America who could afford to send their children anywhere they want choose to send their kids to their neighborhood public schools because they have a two-die-for public school that is better than any public or private school you could find. And what we have decided is the way we fund schools, the way we um, make sure kids are served is based on their zip code. It is not an every child, all children uh, have access and opportunity. And we are serious about that. That's what is at stake when you're looking at the uh, possibilities of some of the bills that are being considered in Maryland, the Protect Our Schools bill, the More Learning Act, less test prep, more actual learning time, really caring about things like like programs and class size and what those kids have to learn. No more of this bait and switch. We love these kids. We care about these kids. But the only thing we're going to give them is a ticket to nowhere, to some for-profit uh, charter school that can promise them the world and not have to deliver, it's time to get serious. And that's what uh, we're looking at. Maryland has actually been very careful in the past about not opening up the doors to fraud and mismanagement and and corrupting uh, private uh, vouchers and and for-profit charters. Uh, We actually hold them up as a model. Um, Michigan is the cautionary tale, but nobody wants to see the chaos and the mismanagement and the wasted millions and millions of dollars that uh, that we saw under Betsy DeVos's Michigan. But Maryland has to do more than just 
not do a bad thing. They actually have to do a good thing. All children deserve access and opportunity. And now's the time to do it. So I'm, I'm curious what you think where the, what the political struggle is about when it comes to this. You'll be in Baltimore. You'll be in Annapolis in about a week. Yes. On, on next this coming Monday. I mean, what, what, A, why are you coming? What do you intend to do there? I mean, and what about the political struggle around this whole issue of our schools? I mean, it, no matter, whether you're in Maryland or anywhere else, it's a fight because, because there's competition for money and people don't get it sometimes about how the schools are important and funding schools are important. Right. And, you know, I've, I've talked with folks who, um, you know, who would say, well, if, uh, you know, if a parent sends their kid to Catholic school. My parents sent me to Catholic school for a couple of years. You know, my dad was in the Army, and then I went to, you know, Department of Defense schools. I went to everyday, um, you know, run-of-the-mill, good public school. So I've I've had a good uh, um, experience, personally, with a lot of those things. Um, And when, um, you know, when someone says, well, if you send your kids to private school, you're paying twice. I went, well, my kids are grown. I don't have any kids in, in public school, so maybe I shouldn't pay even once. Is that what you're saying? So when you take the logic to it, it is the difference between the public saying, I am responsible, whether I have kids in that school, whether I have kids at all, I'm responsible for a public good called a public school. Every kid should have access and opportunity. And by the way, that's the foundation of, of um, uh, the economy, um, how many people are going to end up in prison. It, it's everything. It's how many people are going to be good citizens and be able to be critical thinkers when it's time to vote. Um, having a well-educated uh, society is good for the society. It's not an individual commodity. It's not something you buy and sell like shoes. So people that want to say, well, the, it's just this thing that the parents and that kid uh, are concerned about. So just give the parent and the kid uh, some money and wish them well in this competitive cutthroat marketplace of of um, voucher schools and for-profit charters, they're missing the point. We all have a vested interest in an efficiently run, effective public school. When we see something that's not working in that public school, to just say, well, let's start a couple of startup businesses and see what happens. We saw what happened in Michigan, and there is nothing but chaos and corruption in that system. And now they're trying to get it all back. So why I'm going um, to uh, march uh, to the Capitol with my colleagues at the Maryland State Education Association is they are pleading with the public to listen to the people who know the names of the kids. Listen to that third grade teacher and that algebra uh, middle school teacher and say, here's what our kids actually need. Here's when you say what's working, why not go into a school and see what that working fabulous school has? It's not a coincidence that the kids that have the access to a variety of programs, that's where the choices should be. What are the choices for those kids in something like a foreign language or a um, or science or vocational tech classes, or seeing if they can, uh, you know, if, if they can write 
um, and become reporters and become um, um, the next leaders of our country. When you have all of that access and opportunity right there in your neighborhood public school, something good is going to happen. And the farther we get away from investing in the kids that need us the most, um, the more we're going to regret it. All of us, not just those kids, they're not a charity. They're our investment. And let me tell you, they had a, um, there was a little documentary once where uh, there were some um, kids in a lot of different areas that had a debate class. And they decided to exchange. It's like uh, these kids in this really poor inner city um, um, community of color, uh, their kids were going to go debate over in the affluent area. Those affluent kids came over to the um, uh, poorer neighborhoods, and they, they kind of had this exchange program. Let's see how, how we uh, and, uh, learn. And the kids who were from the poor neighborhood walked into this affluent school, and at first they were just amazed, and their little mouths were open going, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> where did, wow. And then as they started walking through computer labs, and they started walking through the sport complex, and they started seeing that the theater department, what they had, then they started getting angry. And the um, reporter with them was interviewing them, and they looked at this reporter and they said, we don't have this stuff. We don't have this. How come they have it? These were public schools. Now, these kids knew what, that there was something racist going on. And that reporter was flummoxed going, you know, oh, we were just thinking it was like, here's how the other half lives. But what those kids saw was so painful to them. You saw the look on their face. And then they, they went back and they said, and look at our school with peeling paint. And leaky roofs. And and we don't have a library that has books in it. Now, I think it's a travesty of what you say to those kids. Is, and we want to help you. We're going to get you into some for-profit charter schools that probably don't look like that beautiful school either. So let me ask this, last, um, this final question before you have to run. Um, I mean, and I think you're, I mean, you, you've laid it out pretty clearly here. But that you're coming to Maryland and you work in D.C. As, as the president of the NEA. Um, and there's a county just just north of D.C. called Montgomery County that mm-hmm. that is has its own needs because they have 3,000 students, new students a year coming in, and many of those kids are, are, are kids who have English as a second language. But they, it's also a county that is one of the wealthiest counties in the United States of America. And there's places like Baltimore City, which is yeah. facing its deficit. And, 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 and so the question I have for you, just politically, as a leader of the largest... Uh, educational union in the country, um, three million members. How do you form a coalition between places like Montgomery County that need more money, even though they're the richest place in the city, in the, in the state, which is in need of a great deal more money and has $150 million deficit? How do you forge a coalition um, that allows educational funding formulas to take care of both places equitably and raises the standard of education for kids in poor communities like Baltimore City. How do you build that? That is a fabulous question. And of course, you're going to have um, you're going to have the usual uh, coalition of educators and parents and and uh, advocates for uh, kids that uh, have so little 
uh, in their lives. And that school door is going to be everything to their future. But I also know that when you talk to some of the parents in the wealthier neighborhoods, they, their kids have what they need. And what I want to do is to reach out to those parents and those taxpayers who live in areas that have so much. And I'm saying taxpayers because there's a lot of people who don't mind paying a lot of property taxes, even though they don't have kids in those schools. Because, by the way, having those beautiful schools increases their property value. Um, You're going to get more for your house because of that gorgeous public school down the street. Realtors love that. But what we have to do is stop thinking in terms of as long as I've got mine, everybody else is an act of charity. It's not an act of charity. And it's, it's even more than an act of good citizenship, although that's enough for me. It is what will hold this country together. The divides that we're seeing between the haves and the have-nots, the people who have um, all of the reason to hope that their children will have a bright, shiny future, and people who say, I'm not sure my kid will make it to the end of the 12th grade Mm -hmm. because they've lost hope that anyone cares about them. We have to build those coalitions, and it has to be above the usual suspects. Why not have the Realtors Association um, as part of this coalition? Why not have health care um, um, advocates, they know what happens when you have a school that's run down and, and is not a healthy place to breathe. We have to look at every single aspect. I want bankers in this. I want people who would never think of, of themselves as advocates for education saying this is the foundation of our economy, of crime, of health care, of everything. And we have to stop wasting time and money on, yeah, let's not really give these kids what they need. Let's, let's, let's have a voucher experiment. Let's experiment with charter schools. Let's talk about how we can hold them more accountable. No, no more wasting time and money. That has been a ticket to nowhere. And what we have to do is to say, what do we do to make sure that every single student has a neighborhood school that has everything that kid needs to make their lives what they were supposed to be. And that's what this march is about. And by the way, it's not just Maryland. I have been asked to come and march with educators and parents and advocates in so many different um, states and school districts. And what we want is for every public school to look like your best public school. Anything that doesn't move us in that direction is a waste of time and money. We're going to do it right this time. We're serious. No more fooling around. Lily Eskelson Garcia is president of the National Education Education Association. Uh, Lily, it's been great to talk to you. I look forward to having a longer conversation one day. There's a lot ahead of us, and I appreciate you coming to Maryland. And, we, and, oh. uh, and thank you again so much for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, uh, see you on the 13th. That's